right, it's time to start. Thank you, guys. Wow. Alright, so the whole thing reminds me of the storm, which was much ado about you know very few people. So, but nevertheless, we'll try to do the best of it. Today is uh, March 22nd, which is 95th birthday, it would be of the great man of the 20th century, Marcel Marceau. Just today, 22nd. So I never expected that my life would cross with his life, so as a thank you for that moment, I just decided to do this. So this is my thank you to Marceau and to opening for me a world of mine uh, through his art. So how did it start for me? Yeah, very simple. In 1984, I was in Cambridge, and I see this in a newsstand. And I'm like, well, I have to buy it. I got it, and it was 295. This is the best 295 I ever spent in my life. So I'm reading the magazine, and it's interesting. It has some pictures, and it has some stories. And then in the end of the story, it said that Marceau is going to teach master classes in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, that's a good idea to get in touch with the school, which I did. And they said, you know what? You in Massachusetts, because I used to live in Massachusetts in that time, we're in Michigan. Why don't you send us a tape? Because we need addition. Friend of mine, Royal, uh, made a tape. And it was a tape of the pantomime, which called Man and Fire. That was like the most advanced piece of mind that I had at that moment uh, in my vocabulary. I had to impress the master of mine. So the best thing about that piece was a man discovering fire. Yeah, that was fire. So that was the selling point of the whole mind, this thing. So I sent it out not hoping for anything. About three months later, there's a small letter comes in, congratulations, you got accepted into the master uh, mind class, and then Arbor, please get to us in July. <laughs> but all right, but I don't have much money, I don't have, I wasn't prepared for it. So Royal and I, we drove, because we didn't have any money for tickets for a plane. Almost killed ourselves, because I fell asleep while I was driving. But anyway, I got there, Royal got there. Royal said, you know what, I did, oh, he got a letter of refusal. They didn't accept him. So that uh, would be like an end of the good friendship. But it wasn't, it wasn't. He said that he'll try to audition in life, in real time. So he went to take care of that, and I went to the dormitory, made myself comfortable. Next morning, I'm waking up going to the class. It is 30 people in the class, big, big dance studio with uh, bars on both sides, uh, mirrors, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful space. And people, mostly American, one girl from Japan, how and why nobody knows, it was like this small. <laughs> and uh, she smiles at everybody and doesn't do anything like us, like nothing. But, you know, nobody judging. I mean, she got in. God bless her. Uh, and we're sitting on the floor and just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I'm looking to my left, and I see 
not tall, very skinny, very straight person, walks in with his hands together, no, dum, da, da, dum, 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 nothing like that, okay? Just very quiet, and I'm like, crap, this is my soul. Because I never seen him without makeup. It was only with the makeup. But it has to be him. And he has pants, like the parachute pants, and very tight uh, shirt, unbuttoned right here. And uh, he walks in. And we like all talking, sitting. I'm looking, and I'm like, <laughs> the only one. And everybody's like, what? 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 Oh! <laughs> We're all good. I'm stuck. Like, he's like, oh yeah, finally. <laughs> you know just me. So somebody gave him a chair. He sat down and he congratulated us. He said, that was a lot of people who tried to get in. And uh, you guys, very special. There's something special about you. I don't know if you lied or not, but that's what he said. <laughs> and. Uh, all right, you guys ready? We're going to work very hard. In those two weeks, we're going to cover material that in my school in Paris, uh, we do in six, seven months. So we're going to do in two weeks. A lot of material. You guys ready? We're ready. So they split us on one side, split us on another side, and they, we got to the bar. Now, bar is something like this. And he starts showing us exercise in the bar. And I have to tell you, first five minutes were very, very simple. Like, yeah, okay, I can do that, why not? Oh, yeah, I can do that, yeah, why not? Next five minutes was a little bit challenging, okay? The last five minutes, everyone at the bar was like this. <laughs> because every single muscle in your body was so tense. That bar exercise opened eyes for everyone was like, wow, you have to have a body for this part. You can't just like fake it. You can't. <laughs> that freaking bar exercise was a warm-up for us for the next two weeks. And I have to tell you, the next year, 1985, I got a flyer like to sign in for the next year, for 1985, and it had some pictures from the year before. <laughs> and somebody put a picture next to the bar, like people lining up on the bar. And you could see those faces, everybody like this. <laughs> Not one is smiling, okay? And people who are waiting for the order to get to the bar, they're like this. <laughs> they were afraid of this freaking bar no matter what. But nevertheless, that was our morning exercises for about three hours. We also learned certain things which called attitudes. There's tons of attitudes, but I'll give you just little example. For example, you have to freeze in a certain attitude and they would know what it is, okay? And that would be shy. So they would know. And another one would be brave. Why? Nobody knows, but you have to do that. <laughs> uh, another thing is a memory that would be like this. Love. So you learn those statuary attitudes, and then you put them together to explain what you're doing, express what you're doing. Another thing that we learned was style exercises, just for your, to you to know what style exercise is. Style exercise is an illusion. 
okay? It doesn't repeat exactly what we do in real life, but it has an illusion of what we're doing in real life. For example, walking. Walking could be very simple, just like this. You see? It's not how we walk in real life, but for you other audience, you absolutely understand. Yes, I'm walking and it's not that far, and I'm not really running, and my hand's doing whatever else, I'm just saying hello, okay? It could be different walking. See, it's a different walking. Now, this also works which create illusion of walking in place. It could be behind you, or it could be in front of you. Okay. So all different kinds of workings. Now, those works, useful. Some works, no useful. <laughs> I did it twice in the class. I don't have the slightest idea who ever used it. Okay? This is one of the works, and I'll show you how ridiculous it is. Walks like that. <laughs> so, but you had to learn. Like any of you attended college, you guys learning a lot of crap that has nothing to do with real life. Well, that's how it was. It was a lot of stuff that no really any value in what you do on the stage. But I guess it opens your mind to what possibilities are, and that's what it's all about. So that's what we did from 9 to 12. Then we had nice lunch, come back at 1 o'clock, and you work on your own stuff. So if I prepared man and fire, I'm working with that, with some assistants, with some other people in the class. Why? Because at night, we're going to perform. For Marceau, he's going to write everything down, get on the stage with you, critique, change, Whatever it is, we don't know, but we have to be prepared. We're going to take a break till 3 o'clock at 4 in a different place. It's not dance studio anymore, it's a big auditorium. And man is going to sit on a chair and tell us about mime. He's going to tell us about history of mime, starting from Roman times and Greek times, all the way to Italian times, English, Chaplin, French, and Marceau. Yes, that's how he was talking. He was talking about himself in a third person. And then Marceau decided to discover. Every single time what he was saying, he had to gesticulate. Okay? Everything is not just like I'm an angry, what I have to do, but no. Everything you can see exactly what he's talking about. When he was talking about, for the first time, watching Charlie Chaplin movie, when he was a little kid, you could see his face, how he watched when he was a little kid. Just like, like amusement. Nobody listens to what he said. You just have to watch and you know exactly what's going on. That's how Guy was projecting. That's how much energy he had in it. So, since we touched that part of his life, he was five years old, he saw Chaplin. And movie, the circus, the movie circus, mesmerized him. He remembers and he was telling about that other kids 
that he was watching where they were laughing, laughing, laughing. He never laughed once. He was absolutely mesmerized by what he saw. Many, many years later, when he grew up, when he became mine, he realized that for the first time in that moment, he saw mine. That Charlie Chaplin wasn't a silent actor. And then titles will say, subtitles will say what he said. No, he was mine. And subtitles would say he wouldn't talk. He was the first man on a screen that doing this. And he adored Charlie Chaplin. Later on, Marcel was traveling because he was constantly going one show, another show, another show, another show. So he spent a lot of time in the airport. In the airport, somebody told him that Chaplin and his daughter are waiting for the flight to Switzerland. And Marceau was doing Barbarella, whatever the movie is. And uh, he's like, well, should I go and say hello or not? He resisted for a little while, and then finally he went. And he introduced himself, and he said, my name is Marceau Marceau, and I absolutely adore what you do. Chaplin recognized who it was. He never saw him perform. And uh, Marceau did an imitation of Chaplin doing his book. <laughs> Chaplin loved it. So he did the same thing. So both of them in the middle of the airport doing Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> now, at that time, Marceau was already famous. And there's all these photographers around him. He was like one of the most photographed person in the world. And he asked them not to take pictures. Why? Because he didn't want Chaplin to think that he, Marceau, is using Chaplin's glory for his own promotion. He didn't want this. So later on, he was sorry. He said, that would be such a great picture, two of us doing Charlie Chaplin. But he asked them not to, to take pictures, and they never did. So there's no documentation of it. It's not the end of the story. They were for a little while together. They were laughing, they were doing it. Then when it was time to say goodbye, Chaplin, I'm sorry, Marceau took Chaplin's hand and attempt to kiss. Chaplin pulled away his hand. Marceau pulled back and kissed. When Marceau looked up at the face of Chaplin, Chaplin had tears in his eyes. That was the last time we saw each other. When Marceau, in many, many interviews that he did, asked what was the most memorable day in your life, he always was talking about this. It was so dear to him. Ever since the age of five, that was a hero that he adored. So, another thing that was interesting about history of mine that I would never think to know how the whole thing started. As I told you already, let's forget about the Greek, the Romans, 
and all Italian stuff, okay? The French mime, that's what we know now. The school that we perform on the stage is a French mime. How it started? Ha! I'll tell you in a second. It started with an exercise for the speaking actor. Yes, simple exercise. So what happened was this. You have to expand of tools of the speaking actor. That was the thought behind the exercise. What is the most useful tool of the actor? Is a face. You drone through the face. So they said, well, let's take a handkerchief and put it around the face. Now face is not part of it. Take it out of consideration altogether. What happened now to the speaking actor? Speaking actor changed. The gestures became bigger, okay? The attitude became bigger. For the people in the audience, it didn't make any sense because nobody performs this way. But all of a sudden, the movement, the attitude, and the gestures became interesting. And in fact, the less speaking actor talk, the better gestures were. The more alive they become, the more emotional they were. And when the spoken actor finally shut up, wow! The whole new language of gestures all of a sudden being born. That's how mind got separated from speaking word. So they got divorced. Uh, talking and not talking. Not talking one. <laughs> Guess what? There's one more problem. And you would know what it is. Face. The thing is, and I don't know how many of you saw me, uh, see me here on like Fridays and Saturday performing. Everybody who leaves the theater say, I love your face. I love your face. You have a crazy face. This is like a rubber face. <laughs> well, it's a nightmare for the mind. Okay, why? Because this kills all of this. And that's the language of mind, the body. So in order to make face less effective, they start putting baking flour on the face to make less grimace, less mimicry on it. And that's how the white face started. So all of that wasn't born till nice man by the name Etienne de Croo. And he started working like in the 1938, and, uh, 28, and he walked and walked and walked and walked and walked, and he developed brand new ABC of movement for the actor, which became mind. What he did, in very simplistic form, it was tense and relax. It was isolation. You can do like this, you can do like this. It's isolation. Now, if you know break dancing, it's isolation on cocaine. You know, <laughs> that's what it is. But basically, they took his technique and put it into the dance, and all of a sudden, that's what you see. So, another thing which he created was a resistance. So, if I take something heavy, it resists. 
If I'm pushing against something, it resists. It's a resistance. So all this together with attitudes and gestures and the whole thing, it made a new art, which was corporal mind. Now, what happened was he was kind of what I am now. Okay? He performs in his living room for two people. He does hundred shows. Two people. Then, a few years later, he performs in a studio. Five people. Okay? Hundred shows. Five people. So, that was a long, long and absolutely painful experience for him. But man was absolutely forced in order to do this. He didn't care about the audience. He didn't care about anything. In fact, there's examples and there's uh, some stories how he performed. First of all, he would strip almost naked. He would have just the most important things covered, and that's about it. And then he would do movement, and do movement, and do movement. And people say, like, you're naked. What are you doing? Like, watch my muscles. Watch, isn't it beautiful? Now, another thing was if movement in his perception wasn't right, he didn't care about audience, he would repeat this movement 25 times till he is satisfied. So try to see that show. Anyway, he opened a school. And there were two prize students there. One was Baron, and another was Marceau. Ducroux said of Marceau, he was born to be mine. Marceau walked in, and he loved it. And just like a sponge, he took everything. He always was talking about Ducroux as his master. Well, teacher and student, this very interesting relationship. Teacher wants to give everything to the student and control what it does. Students wants to get everything and forget about the teacher and do what he wants. <laughs> and sometimes it creates very hard relationship. And unfortunately, that's what happened between those two people. And I have to say, it was mostly on the side of the crew. Just as forceful, just like uh, concentrated in an art form as he was with his own discovery of mind, he was asking the same thing of his students. And for Marceau, art was for people. It was said many times that what the crew is for minds is the same as Marceau for public. Jacru created the beautiful art. And very few people know him. Marceau opened the doors, let people in, said this is the art, and everybody know him. Marceau got his first show very popular. People in, a, people in a theater were laughing at him. 
you're going to make two hours silent and you're not talking, nobody would believe that it's possible to do. There was a very interesting interview with his wife, uh, Marceau's wife, and she said, well, very little people know that he started as a speaking actor, but everybody hated his voice. <laughs> well, she was his ex-wife, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Nevertheless, he was quiet for two hours on the stage, never in the world. Nobody ever did it. And guess what? He was successful. He was successful to the point that he started opening his own theater, and 20 mimes were doing what they called mimodramas. Mimodrama just, let's say, for something like a dance, okay? You can have a little dance that you put in a variety show, okay? It lasts four minutes, done. Or you can have a swan leg, which is two-hour production with the costume, the lights, the backgrounds, and the thing. This is mimodrama. Okay? So he was putting big productions already. One of them was overcalled uh, by Russian, uh, based on a Russian uh, writer, Gogol. And he was always proud of that mimodrama. It was the first one. And uh, they didn't wear white faces, those actors. They uh, had regular makeup, they had costumes, they had props. There's a picture somewhere right there where he has an overcoat. And uh, there was nothing white face or you know, clowny about it. It was a drama that they created. So it lasted for a while, and he got, uh, he got invitation to go to Canada. Why? Because Canada has a French province, and uh, people in that province really love people from real France. Let's see the real French people. So he got there, and he sold out four weeks in a row. They loved him. From that, somebody had an idea that it would be good if he'll get in uh, New York and just try. We're not going to give him any money. We're not going to promote that much. We're not going to invite his theater. We're going to have only one person, just Marcel Marceau. Why? Because if it doesn't work, one ticket is much cheaper than 20 to buy back home. And they did it. It was Phoenix Theater, 1955, New York. Two weeks engagement. In four days, two weeks had been sold. They're like, how did that happen? They moved him to the different theater, which was bigger. Sold out. They moved him to another theater, which is huge. Sold out. Two weeks run into the six months. That was absolutely unprecedented at that time. What? How? How did it possible person goes on the stage, doesn't speak, and they're selling and outselling and outselling and outselling. He was the only one at that time. There was nobody else to compete. There was nobody else to compare with. And what happens in that time? Variety show on TV is very popular. The Red Skelton's show, 
they're inviting him. All of a sudden, everybody watching TV, and here's Marceau, white face, doing all the good stuff, everybody clapping. He becomes a celebrity. Next thing you know, by the end of the 1956, he is going on a world tour all over, everywhere. Five continents. Yes, 300 shows, 65 countries. That's impressive, isn't it? In fact, he came back to France, relaxed a little bit, did in, uh, another mimo drama, turned around, and went right back to the United States where it was such good. He loved the United States. He always was thankful for what happened in 1955. It made him a name that everybody knew from that point on. But the interesting thing that it wasn't the first time he performed for American public. In 1945, he was a part of the French army and he worked as a translator because he knew German, obviously French, and English. He was fluent in, uh, uh, in English. So the army of General Patton was there and he was translating whatever people translate. I don't know. But uh, one officer said, uh, excuse me, what is your name? My name is Marcel Marceau. Uh, what are you planning to do after the war? I'm going to be a mine. Officer didn't have a slightest idea. Excuse me, what is it? So Mar Marceau showed whatever he showed. I don't know what, what, what he did at that moment. And uh, the captain said, you know what? We have 3,000 uh, 3, troops here. Why don't you entertain them? Two days later, they set up the show, and he performed for American soldiers. That was his first show for America. He always was proud of it. And uh, Stars and Stripes magazine wrote the first review for him, how good it was. And uh, he was always talking about it, how proud he was in that moment. So, all right, let's come back to our Ann Arbor. He was talking about history of mine, telling us all about it. Uh, and he was always talking about Ducroux and Barreau with a full respect. It's all this was opposite. If you would go to Ducroux and say that you were studying with Marceau, you probably wouldn't get just because of that. Uh, Barreau, okay, this is his autobiography. Big, thick, 300 something pages. Believe it or not, Marcel Marceau had been mentioned once with the other name next to it. Just like, yeah, Marcel Marceau, but somebody else. Mm -hmm. Nothing about him. What had run between them, I don't know. But it was always one-sided. On the side of Marceau, he was always say to, to the students, you know what, please go and study with Ducroux. Just don't mention my name. He was very real about it. All right, so, and Arba at night, 
uh, every other night, so we had a lecture, and other night we had to perform for Marceau. <coughs> we prepared our thesis, he would sit right there in the front, write something, and people would perform. He never stops the person on the stage till it's done. When it's done, he takes about 20, 25 seconds to think about it, then he gets in and start talking about what happened, how it happened, how it could be better. There's many different directors, how they direct what's happening on the stage. Okay? He was one who always showed himself how to do it. Some directors don't. They trying to give you information that you would come up with decision yourself. Okay? I'll give you an example. Um, there's a Russian director uh, and he would, he would see the scene and the scene was very simple. Okay? A girl had to take a bottle of water, pour it up into the glass, and give it to somebody. Okay? So it's very simple thing. There's not much to it. But for whatever reason, it wasn't what he wanted to see. It didn't come out the way he would see. Okay? Instead of showing how to take, how to pour, how to look, and how to give it, he didn't do that. What he would do, he would say, all right, pretend that you are just a piece of dirt, dry dirt. Just get on the floor and just shrink, like shrink it to little, little, little thing. So she would get on the floor and just be all crinkled. I said, all right, now it's rain. It's rain. Look what happens to you. So she start absorbing this water, absorbing this thing. And he said, okay, now I want you to take this feeling and pour it into the glass. Okay? He didn't show you how, but he gave you a contest, something different to think of. That it wouldn't be just a mechanical, here you are, okay? But it would be... Maybe give it to the person. It gives you absolutely different characteristic of the movement. Okay? Marceau didn't do that. In his own mind, he already did this for himself. He is a like genius actor, okay? And he would just say, Well, you have to take it, you have to bring it and just bring this water and just show it. So when you next to him and you watch it. And then he'll say, okay, you do it. You can't help but do the same thing what he just did. And it becomes a different thing because your subline of the movement wasn't the same like his. You just try to repeat what you saw without understanding what it was. So when he was telling you to do something. You have to almost close your eyes and just listen. 
Some people in the class had a hard time doing it. They would repeat exactly what he showed them. And that was never endless frustration for both of them, as a teacher and as a student. So luckily, I wasn't the first one on the stage. I was like tenth on the stage. So finally, it's me. The piece that I showed that time was a piano player. And a piano player is basically, it's a funny piece about the person playing the piano and his hands become music. That's all what it is, okay? It could be sad music, it could be aggressive music, it could be music which is not piano at all, it doesn't matter. Hands become music. That's the basic illusion behind it. So, Marceau liked the piece, and he's like, okay, that piece has to be for somebody, okay? Fall in love with the lady right there. Oh, my wife is there, hi. <laughs> so, fall in love with the lady right there, okay? Play for her, then it makes meaning. I play just for myself, that's how it was in my, in my mind. But when I saw the person, and I start playing for it, it became different, okay? So, Marceau would say, okay, this is good, play, play. Now she's a lover, now she writes you a letter, now she, and he started playing and doing all of this. So, I'm sit sitting down and trying to make it for myself, okay? And I'm like, oh yeah, she's writing me a letter. And he is laughing. Okay? It's like, yes, yes. And it's not what he showed me. But it was the idea. That's what he wanted. So that was a great experience to perform for him. All right. Year passed by. I come back in 1985. What happened in that year was actually something tragic. Why? Because Marceau performed in Russia and his ulcer uh, burst. So he bleeded, he collapsed on the stage, they took him to the operation room, he is lying there, and they did surgery, and then two days later they fly them to France, because who needs another surgery in Russia? Um, and uh, they did another surgery there, and it took him a while to recuperate. So there's two stories that I would like to tell you about that period of time. In 1961, I think, Marceau's first time was in Russia. And he gave an interview on a Russian radio station. And the person who was interviewing him said, uh, Mr. Marcia, it would be so wonderful if you would say two words in Russian, okay? The people would love that. And, you know, why don't you say hello, people? So, Marcia learned just that. Hello, people, in Russian. 24 years later, in 1985, he finds himself half-naked on operation table. There's like all foreign Russian uh, doctors all around him. 
And they're like, abjuration, 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 abjuration. He's like, hello, people in Russian. This is like the only thing he could come up. They looked at him and they start laughing. At this moment, for some reason, he said, I wasn't afraid anymore. So they did the surgery and they flew him to France. He recuperating, and this is another thing which was interesting from his wife. He told her, I won't be able to do Bip. Bip is his character uh, that he performed. Because Bip doesn't have scars. And she's telling him, Marcel, what are you talking about? Bip is you. You created him. Scar, no scar, it doesn't matter. But in his mind, he was so into that character that his own manipulation of the body wouldn't be right to that character anymore. So I thought it was a very interesting story about it. So in 1985, in the summer, he was back in Ann Arbor. And I have to tell you, the year before and year now, in that summer, was a different person. He could not move as fast. He wasn't as he wasn't as energetic, but nevertheless, it was a force, okay? And he had huge, long hours. There was a person who did his science. He was from Poland. Well, Russian, Poland, we became buddies. Uh, so we're having lunch together. Having lunch together, da 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 how you doing? Da, 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 da. He tells me a story, I'm telling him story, this is the Ruski, this is the Polish, all of a sudden he looks at the watch, he's like, crap, and runs. <laughs> he couldn't be late for rehearsal. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one man show, okay? <laughs> By the genius of mine. <laughs> rehearsal. And he was absolutely hard about it. Like, you late, you up. So I guess uh, he wasn't late because I saw him many years later he was still doing the same. So rehearsal. There was an article in the newspaper in Ann Arbor uh, about they interviewed people behind the stage. You know, the uh, people who do lights, they do curtains, they uh, do all the engineering. And there was one lady said, you know, we have this person, we have that person, this is that. And then Marcel Marceau is coming. He's tough. <laughs> he was tough on everybody. It was very, very hard to be in his area. He was demanding. He brought with him people from, on the second year, from different countries. There was from Poland, there was from India, uh, there were people from Czech Republic, Canada. So it became more international. And students as well. There was one person who brought his whole school. His name was uh, Greg Goldston. And later on, we're going to see a movie that he made. So, Greg brought the whole school. And he was actually assisting Marceau as well. 
When Marx saw so great for the first time, he invited him to be in his show. He was so much impressed by what his men possessed. There were some legalities about you had to uh, be in a French school, you had to do this. I guess within a year it was all done and they took care of it. But for the next 20 years, Greg performed with Marceau in his company and actually traveled with him uh, for a while as well. So, uh, Greg was assisting him in everyday, uh, in everyday classes. Why? Because Marceau physically couldn't do that and then there was a show, because part of the uh, festival, he is performing. He's performing on Saturday, he's performing on Friday, on a big stage with tons of people, thousands of people from all over. When I saw him in 84, and when I saw him in 85, <coughs> it was two different performances. He did the same pieces, but he did them different. He couldn't be straight as much could not rotate as much, he could not hold his balance as long. So he, it's a one-man show, he can do whatever he wants. So he adjusted all those pieces to fit his new body and his new possibilities. Uh, in one of the earlier pieces, and you can see on the video if you take a look, uh, it would end with a light beaming on him and he would just rotate and rotate and rotate and rotate and rotate till light will disappear. Couldn't do it anymore. Because when he starts rotating, all of a sudden he ends up out, out of the light. Uh, so what he started doing, he just started doing this. That's it. And light will go down. So, but what was interesting thing, and this is the genius of, of Marceau, he compensates the physicality on the after size. Don't forget, mind is not just movement. Mind is an actor. Okay? So he became actor dominant in his show. It wasn't anymore about technique as much. It was about him as an actor. When Will go, and it's just the time to do this. We'll go through what you've seen in front of you, right, right here. And there's some list of pantomimes. And I just would like to go through them. We already went through the crew, and a little bit about Baroque as well, but we'll come back to it. The next one here is youth, maturity, old age. Somebody in... Uh, New York Press said that what Marceau does in youth maturity and old age is in four minutes what writers does in volume. He walks as a young man. He walks as a strong man. And then he walks as an old man. And then does. That's the whole piece. The way he does it is unbelievable. It's hypnotic. If you see it live, that's how much it takes. 
from you. And um, coming to Baroque, when Marceau dies on a stage, okay, he dies like this. They call it vertical death. <laughs> it was actually first described by Baron, but it was absolutely revolution on a stage. In order to be dead on the stage, people lie down right there and they were playing dead. If it was in the movies, it was the same thing. They would just play dead. They lying down. Vertical death. That was the first time concept that even arrived as a possibility, and that was revolutionized by mind. It was brought into the uh, sphere of theater by mind. And you can see that there. Another thing is, uh, what is the next? Creation of the world. Creation of the world is basically, he described Bible, okay? Uh, the light come out, and uh, there's waters, and there's fishes, and fishes go up and down, and then you have uh, trees, and those trees grow, uh, and then it becomes Adam, and he has the Eve, and they're getting hell out of uh, paradise. So it's a, it's a story of, of Bible. Now, it's wonderful to watch, especially if you know that the story. It's such a familiar story to many people. After one of the shows, 20 religious leaders came over behind the stage and just, uh, asked Marceau if he is religious. Marceau was very polite. And he said, well, I'm not practicing. But when I do creation of the world, God talks to me. So when you're going to watch that video, just think this on the background. The cage. Cage is an interesting mind piece. Why? Because the man walks and he sees the wall and he goes on the wall. It becomes a, a box and then he sees one exit. He goes through that and he thinks he is free and he ends up at the other box. And again, this box getting smaller, 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 and he's trying to find his way out and dies, never getting out. In one interview, Marceau said, I'm a prisoner of my own art. My public never wants me to change. Let me tell you the background of that. In 1955, as we talked before, he left his theater behind him and introduced one-man show to the whole world. In the 60s, he tried to bring his theater back. In the 70s, he tried to bring his theater back. In the 80s, he tried to think, to bring his theater back, and every single time it wasn't successful. Newspapers would say, Marcel Marceau had a, a, his theater group performing, it was very interesting, but the real show started when he became alone on the stage in the second round. 
they didn't want to do anything with a big dramatic production with the theater. They wanted him. And he felt it shouldn't be this way. He understood that the balance of him himself in an art, and an art is not equal. It's, it's not the way it should have been. What happens is he climbed the mountain, got on the top, and became the mountain. There's no room for anybody else. There's no point to climb this mountain. He became the mountain. When people thinking about mine, they say, it's Marcel Marceau. When people say Marcel Marceau, they say, this is mine. There's no room for anybody else. And he understood that, and he always tried to go back and bring the theater back, and it never happened. When I'm watching Cage, I'm thinking about that. I don't think he thought when he created it. was too early in his career. But looking back, that's what I'm thinking when I'm looking, when I'm watching this. Mask maker. Not right away, but it became my favorite. And it happened. I remember the show when it happened. It was in New York City. With a friend of mine, his name was Charles Enright, the older gentleman. He uh, loved watching Mar Marceau. This was like the only thing that we had in common. He was, what, 20 years older than me, probably? 25 years? Easy. Uh, so we went to, to New York to see the show. The show was already sold out by the time we tried to get in. But in the last moment, for whatever reason, they covered the performers, uh, the pit for, for the musician, OK? And put like five more roads closer to the cage, uh, to the stage. So needless to say, I was right there, where the third row, right in the middle. I've never been that close to his performance. Usually you sit far away, or the first row is still farther. And he did Mask Maker. Now, Mask Maker is taken from Japanese folk art, I guess. And it's a man who is making masks. And then he is wearing masks, and he becomes the character for a little while, takes the mask off, puts another one, and becomes a different character. Takes this one and put another one, and he becomes. So and he has variety of masks. There's a general, there's a little girl, there's an old man, there's a variety. And by the time he changed three, four, five masks, audience knows exactly what's going on. Oh yeah, here it is, he's a big cat, he's a small cat, he's going to be this character, this character. All of a sudden, when audience becomes very comfortable, he changes something. He takes a happy mask, he puts it on, he's very happy, he's very smiling, that's, a, that's how it is. And then he tries to take it off, and it doesn't. And it doesn't. <laughs> And you have to read his body at this moment. And it's confusion while the mask is still happy. 
And then it becomes agony. He's crying. He's trying to take it out. But the face is always happy. And when you see one with another, it's amazing to watch. But it's not the best moment. And the best moment you can see this close, when you're this close to, to the person. I watched it on a video later on. It was hard to see on a video. Eventually, the happy mask, he takes it off. But he takes it off from lower part of his face. When you're this close, you can see relief on this part of the face. And still laughter on this part. How he does it, I don't know. But that was amazing to, to see. And the only way to see it, if you're that close. So that became my favorite piece. All right, public art. This is an interesting piece because he introduces about 15 different characters in one mind piece. Uh, he starts as a monument, and then he turns around and becomes gendarme, you know, the, the policeman. And then it becomes a little boy, and then it becomes a person who sells ice cream or balloons. And then two ladies talking to each other, and then the old man falling asleep. And it's just one character after another, and each one of them is absolutely distinct. And it's done one after another, after another, after another, after another. And it's wonderful to see. Um, <laughs> Marcel trainer. It's a big other lion trainer. This is one of the uh, very, very famous big pantomimes that he has. It's showing all the time. It's funny. It's interesting. He becomes a lion in the end. Um, it's great to, to see. All right. The next one is tango. And tango, I have to tell you about it because it's something that I witnessed myself in a live theater in Ann Arbor. That was in the second year. Tango is a piece where the man finds a money wallet. And he puts it in his pocket. He goes to the bar. He orders the drink. He sees beautiful woman. And they start dancing uh, tango. When he turns around, hands become his and a woman together. And she's trying to steal this uh, money from him. He takes it and puts it in a different pocket. She steals from another one. And, he, and it's like a game of two hands. And you can see other characters doing all this. It's fascinating. It's very interesting. But what happened that night was this. He's wearing black outfit, music starts, he sees the wallet, he looks, and he's trying to put it in his pocket, and it's not happening. And we know the piece, we've seen it before, we know how it's supposed to work. He goes again, again, the music's still playing, he's trying, and he's trying to put it back. It's not happening. The back pocket is too small for the big thing. And he tries, and he tries, and he, he really tries, and you can see he's frustrated on, this, on a stage right there. And then finally, he takes this wallet, and he's like, shit! And he walks off the stage. 
<laughs> now, what the interesting thing is, when he performed, and I was far away, I wasn't that close, I was really far away, he was commanding every single seed on this stage. As soon as he did this, he became an old little man. <laughs> that was physic. he just physically shrunk. You can see this. So when he was performing, it was such an energy that it was hypnotizing. And when he stopped performing, he physically shrunk. I never saw it in my life. But that was thing. So next morning, of course, we in the class and everybody like, oh, we wonder what happened then. So he walks in, is looks at us, and is like, well. Yesterday, you know, we all know what happened. Uh, this wasn't a big deal. <laughs> uh, what happened was that my costume was sent to the cleaner and the trunk. And we're like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, it happens. It's, you know, malfunction, that's what it's called. Uh, so, and we kind of bought it. Now, many years later, I'm thinking about it. Okay, the costume shrunk. You can't even put it on, but he did. So I don't think just pocket shrunk by itself. <laughs> it's not possible. So I think what happened, it was just wrong costume. That he, you know, somebody gave it to him in the dark, he put it on, and that's how it was. All right, there's few more things uh, because it's getting long. He was traveling. He was traveling all over the world and uh, going from one uh, hotel to another hotel, away from home, away from family, always surrounded by people. All, everybody wanted his autograph. Everybody wanted his picture. There's always somebody wanted to have an interview. Always somebody wanted to have a deal, some money situation, whatever it is. So it's hard to be alone. It's hard to have a peace of mind where you home, you center, you away from everything else. He found that in his watercolors, and he started drawing, and he was very, very productive painter, an established painter. His paintings very interesting. It's very dreamlike. Everybody flying. Everybody. Uh, very romanticized. Uh, he draws Beep, his character, in colors. It's red, it's blue. In, on a stage, it was never like that. That was a color of Beep. That was very gray or black and white. It was very, very simple. But he missed those colors uh, in real life. And that's why he was painting his character, all these different colors. On the stage, he didn't want those colors. He didn't want colors to take away from his movement, from his story. So he had it as sub, subdued, subdued, subdued. Thank you, Rose. As possible. Uh, another thing, because of traveling for so many years and so much, his hearing became worse and worse and worse. It really affected his ears. And uh, in a 
last years of his life, because he was performing until like 82, 88 uh, years old, he couldn't hear public anymore. Now, when you're an actor on a stage, and many of you know, you don't see more than first two roads. The rest is just darkness. So the only way you can relate to your audience is by listening. And he couldn't have that in the end of his life. Uh, which probably affect his performances. When he was 80 years old and he performed in Hollywood, it was you know, 60 years of his uh, career. In the end of the show, they had 20 minutes standing ovation. That was you know, for the 80 years old man. So on that, I would like to say goodbye. Thank you very much for you being here. I hope what I said was interesting. I didn't cover a lot of things, but whatever I covered. Thank you so much.